0: Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. You are listening to part eight of the first John sermon series. Today's sermon is called genuine Christianity, and the scripture reading comes from the book of first John, chapter four, verses one through nine. The Bible says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is a spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him.
1: You know, I I just recently saw this clip of a British TV show. Uh, It was actually a clip of a debate that was held in uh, Oxford University. I think it was like around 2013 or something like that. And it was between this uh, white conservative Christian man, British man, and like a Middle Eastern Muslim man. They're both British. And the topic was, is Islam... A peaceful religion. That's what they were discussing because at that time uh, there were some bombings and terrorist attacks in London. And so that, like, they were having this debate about it. And so the uh, white gentleman starts kind of, starts off basically saying that Islam is a violent religion and hateful religion, responsible for so much death and destruction. Right, pointing out to, uh, you know, pointing to the terrorist attacks and suicide bombings and things like that. Uh, the Muslim man responds by bringing up the Inquisition, the Crusades, slavery, colonialism, all these things, right? Reminding the audience, right, that Christians are also responsible for their fair share of hatred and bloodshed, right? And as he's kind of responding, he says this, right? Uh, this is the interesting point that, you know, I wanted to share with you. He says, I believe Christianity, like Islam, and like every other mainstream religion, is based on love, on compassion, and on faith, right? And so he says, 113 of the 114 chapters of the Quran begin by introducing the God of Islam as a God of mercy and compassion. Right? I do not follow a religion which introduces my God to me as a God of war or as some kind of Greek God of wrath, right? As a God of hate and injustice, not at all, right? So that's the point he was making, right? Like that every religion that you know about basically talks about love and justice and peace, right? They don't really teach to hate. I mean, there are maybe particular verses and passages you can look at from any book where there was violence or hatred, right? But it's not the main core value or message, right? Right. Every religion claims that their God is a God of love, right? And so I kind of looked at um, what this speaker was talking about and it's true. Every chapter, almost every chapter of the Quran starts out in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. In Exodus, right? Uh, you know, of, of Judaism, right? God says of himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious. God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is how God describes himself to the Israelites. And in First John, right, the, the passage that we have been reading and studying today together, John says, God is love, right? So in every, like, major religion that you can know of and think about in even like you know, Buddhist traditions and stuff like that, there's this main idea of like, you should be good to each other, you should love one another, you should be kind to each other, because that's what it means, right? Um, and there are no more uh, angry gods, vengeful gods, who love to toy with men, right? Or capricious, unpredictable gods, who are as fickle as the wind. Like, we don't see those anymore. Those gods have been left behind in antiquity. Right? And so every major religion now says, oh, we ought to be good. We ought to be kind. We ought to be righteous and just. We should forgive one another. Right? And that we should love one another, as John is repeatedly saying in the epistles. Right? So you can go to any church, any synagogue or mosque, and if you went, and you went to that place and you said, hey, we need to love one another. Or life is all about love. Everyone in that place would agree with you. Even atheists would support you and applaud you if you said, hey, we need to love one another. Right? Right? No one would bristle at your words. No one would ch- you know, challenge you or defy you and say, I don't agree with that. Lo- you know, life is not about love. You know, my-, my religion actually teaches me to hate. Right? No one would really say that. So Gandhi famously said, right, uh, this is like a famous quote from Gandhi. Religions are different roads converging to the same point. What does it matter if we take a different road so as long as we reach the same goal? And, I, and this is a very popular opinion right now. right? Like all religions are the same uh, or they have a lot of similarities and they all teach the same things. They all have the same basic message of love and righteousness. So it's like it's just the same name. I mean same game, but it's just a different game, right? Some call them Allah, some call them Elohim, some call them Jesus or you know Yahweh, Jehovah, right? But it's it's the same difference, right? It's like Tylenol versus the C V S brand. It's the same drug, it's just different packaging. And so it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. And so we live in a highly subjective world, a relative world, where if it works for you, then it's true to you, then it's good for you. Right? It doesn't matter what it is. As long as it you know, works for you, makes you a better person, it makes you happy, then you are free to do whatever you wish. Right? And so when you think about it, we live in an age that doesn't want to test any of the spirits or any of the teachings, and blindly accept every spirit, blindly believe everything we hear, right? Because we just say, you know what? Every spirit eventually converges to the same point; it gets you to the same place. Every religion has truth in it. Every religion has goodness in it, and beauty in it. And so, every spirit, uh, uh, as you know, John is talking about, will eventually lead us to God. This is the mindset and attitude of people today. It doesn't really matter which religion you pick or which God you serve, you eventually get to one, right? But John says to us, do not believe every spirit. He says, but to test the spirit, to see whether they're from God or not, right? In the beginning of the letter, you know, in the beginning of 1 John, John gives us a test, on how to tell if we're genuine Christians or not, right? Like that's what he talked about. If you are in Christ, if you truly know him, if you're walking in the light, you'll do these things or you'll be like this. So if you're truly in God, you'll act and live like this. Now he gives a test on how to know what is genuine Christianity, right? To see if the spirits are truly from God. And by spirit, John is talking about what? These new innovative teachings that were coming out from these new teachers like this is what happens when things get popular right people try to copy it and make you know new variations of it right like when one like pop artist makes it big everyone tries to be like that artist right oh we're going to find the new Justin Bieber we got to find the new Backstreet Boys we got to find the new Drake or whatever it is and make someone just like him cuz that's what's popular right why do you think all pop music sounds the same? Right? When Apple made the first iPhone, everybody started making square phones with touch screen cuz like, oh, we have to follow this. And then put everyone put their little new spin, new variation to it. And in the same way as Christianity was growing, there were these new variations of Christianity forming within the church. People saying like, "Oh, what if Jesus was like this or what if God was like this?" And and they and they were kind of Giving out these new teachings, and so now John is saying, "You gotta test to see which are really from God, right?" So, what is the test of genuine Christianity? What is true Christianity? And so, in 1 John four, chapter uh, verses two and three, right? This is he he gives you the test. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come and the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is, is not from God. Right? And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Right? So it's not whether they believe in Jesus right, or whether that they claim that Jesus is the Son of God. Because right? you've got to think about when John is writing this letter, He's not worried about other religions. He's not thinking about Islam. He's not thinking about Mormonism, or he's not thinking about Jehovah Witnesses, right? He wasn't trying to distinguish Christianity from other religions, but he's trying to distinguish Christianity, real Christianity, from fake Christianity, right? It's so everyone he's writing to believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Everyone believed in Jesus, so that's not the problem, right? And it's not all the other reasons that we normally cite and and think about when we say, oh, this is a cult, or they're not truly Christian, right? Oh, they pray to Mary, or they worship on the wrong day, or they don't believe the Bible is the word of God, or they have the uh, 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 apocrypha in their their Bible, the, the, the hidden lost books, right? Who cares which books people choose not to read and not to obey? Right? And so he says, the the real test is whether they acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, this doesn't really seem that important, right? It seems like a minor detail. Okay, we all know that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he was, you know, a fully man and fully God. We, We were kind of taught those things as kids, but it doesn't really seem like that's where you draw the line, right? Other things would appear to be more important, more significant. Like, oh, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is Lord. Or Jesus Christ is King or something like that. But for John, he's saying, this is where you draw the line. This is where you make the distinction that changes everything. All right? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Right? So what the, why is this so important? Why does this matter? more than any of the other things right that make christianity christianity so here uh this christian commentator named Roy Lauren he he wrote this he says had there been no incarnation christ would have been an apothesis a man moving towards god christianity would have been only another approach to god Christ would have been only a God-like man. But there was an incarnation. God moved towards man. Because of that, Christianity is in reality God's approach to man. Christ is in fact a man-like God. The incarnation is what makes Christianity distinctly unlike any other system. So, you know, contrary to... To Gandhi's opinion, all religions do not converge at the same point, right? Because in all the other religions, man moves towards God, right? Up the mountain, you know, to the heavens, through the perilous dungeons and fiery trials. You got, you got go through all these kind of things, and then you get to God, right? That's how all the all the other religions are set up, right? But this is why every religion does not lead to God. And that in, in fact, no religion leads to God because man cannot reach God no matter what he does or no matter how hard he tries. He can never pass the test. He can never be good enough. He can never pass the trials. So all men are condemned to die in their sin apart from God. Right? So That's what, that's a lot of the Bible stories. That's, that's what they're teaching, right? Like, no man can really escape the flood. No man can free himself from Pharaoh's hand. You're a slave. You're dead. You're hopeless. Unless God sends an ark or unless God sends a powerful Redeemer to save you. We can only get close to God when He draws near, near to us. Right so but Jesus right he does the opposite he came down the mountain to earth where he himself endured the agony of the cross and the fires of hell this is god moving towards man so it's you know you end up in two separate places right so he's, so he's saying the incarnation the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh this is what makes Jesus Christ unique and different from every other religion. Because no other religion can say something like this. Muslims do not say Allah came down and died for his believers. Buddha doesn't do anything for the people that follow him. He just shows them the way. This is why Jesus insisted... That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through me, right? Because if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, he would have been the life, and he would have been the truth, but not the way, right? He would have been, he would have had life in him, and he would have been able to give you the truth. Let me tell you the truth about who God is, and 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 whatever. But there will be no way for us to enter into that life, right? To enter into that truth. If Jesus was only flesh, right, and He wasn't God, He would have been the way and the truth, but not the life, right? He would have been another prophet, another Muhammad, another a Buddha, or right? somebody, a spiritual teacher, a guru, somebody can, that can teach you the way, like show you what it is, right, to to get closer to God or or to live life the way you're supposed to. But He wouldn't have the power to make you live like that. Right, so he can speak the truth and show you the way, but he can't actually take you there. And so this is true, right? Um, a lot of religions and even cults or false religions or you know fake gospels have things in them that are good and beautiful and true about them. Right, a lot of religions right, are very similar to Christianity and the like, things they teach because you know it is a way to God. Right? No one would say that the, that the Jews got it wrong, right? Because we read the same Old Testament at least as them, and that we believe a lot of the same things about God as they do. But there's no power, there's no life, because all they know is God wants us to do these things, and we can't do them. They have no Christ, no Messiah to make them, you know, draw near to God, right? Because there's a difference. In knowing the way to France and having a plane to fly there, right that's the difference between Christianity and a lot of the other religions. Everyone knows where France is, but how can you get there? Christianity provides a way through Jesus Christ. So every religion says that, like, oh, God is love or something along those lines, right you you know, you go to other people. Right, of, of other religions, and they'll tell you, Yo, yeah, God is love. I believe that. But how do we know that? How do you know that God is love? Right? Christians say it's because Jesus died for us. But if Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, what would be the significance of his death? Like, you know, think about it, if Jesus Christ really didn't come in the flesh as a human being and die. Uh, as a man, then what would that mean? It would mean nothing. It would prove nothing. It would be like me dying for my friend in a video game, right? My character dies for his character, right? My character jumps in front of the bullets and I say, hey man, this is how, this is how you know I love you, man. I laid down my life for you in that game. No one would be like, oh, no one would be impressed by that. You'd be like, yo, you're just gonna respawn anyway. Right, My video game sacrifice would mean nothing because it's a video game. It didn't cost me anything. It didn't hurt me. It didn't affect me in any way. Right. So what I'm saying is Jesus did not die like a pretend video game death. Like, But if you say he didn't come in the flesh, that's what you're saying. That's what you're insinuating. But he gave me his real life and died a real death as a real man. Right. Now you can kind of understand what John was saying in 1 John three sixteen through 18. I'm right. going to read that to you. This is how you know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So what John is saying is, like, Jesus did not love with words and and, and, and speech. He loved us with actions and in truth. Like, thank God that God did not send us thoughts and prayers when he saw us in our sin. right? Because that's what we do when we see somebody hurting or struggling, or when we see, like, a big... uh. You know, disaster happened. Hey, thoughts and prayers to France. Thoughts and prayers to this. And, right? But that's what we're saying. Jesus didn't look at us and say, oh, thoughts and prayers, guys. I know you guys are sinning and condemned to hell, but thoughts and prayers. Right? God didn't do that. He sent his son, right, in the flesh to lay down his life, to give his blood. Right? He saw us in need, he saw that we needed him, and he had pity on us. And this is how God moves, right? When God sent Moses to save the Israelites, do you know why God sent Moses? He says, "I have seen their misery. Like I saw, right? The people suffering, and I heard their cries." Right? When Jesus healed people, he often healed them because the Bible says he had compassion on them. He fed the 5000. When he saw that they were hungry, had nowhere to go, and nothing to eat, he saw that they were in need, and he said, Oh, I feel compassion. I have pity upon these people. Let me give them something to eat. Right? Or he actually told the disciples to give them something to eat. And the the, the disciples, much like us, said, No, 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 Jesus, I don't got time for that. I'm tired. It's time to go home. Right? Isn't that our response to everything? When we see other people in need, we're like, Oh, I'm tired too. I'm hurting too. All right, but this is the compassion of God or the compassion of Jesus. Right? Jesus did not love us with words or thoughts and prayers. He loved us with actions and in truth. And so when John says, hey, you got to lay down your life, he, this is what he means. Like, look at what Jesus did. Look at how he you know, laid down his life for us. Maybe we should do the same thing. So it's like, if you don't do that, like, how can you say the love of God is in you? Right? That's not the love of God. Like, We have a love, but it's a selfish, human, normal love. right? A love for ourselves. But he's saying, this is true love. This is how you know who God is. When you start acting like Jesus, right? this is the love of God. And so, Jesus coming in the flesh, this is the realest, the greatest manifestation, the greatest demonstration of God's love. Because when he dies on the cross as a man, this is what leads to grace and mercy and forgiveness of sins and adoption and heaven and all that comes from the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Right? Because a lot of times, you know, when, when we do you know, nice things for people. When people do nice things for us, this is what people say. It was the least I can do, right? You know, it was the least I can do. You you cook for me, I'm going to wash the dishes for you. It was the least I can do. You pay for me, I'm going to, you know, you know, help you out here, you know. It's the least I can do for you helping me move. I'm going to buy you a meal. Because right? that's our, like, thing, right? We do what's expected of us. We do what we're supposed to do. Right. what What is the, the custom, the, the, the norm? It's the least I could do. Right. But Jesus does the opposite. He never does the least he could do. He never gives us what we deserve or what we are supposed to get. He always does the most he can do. And so when you see the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and died and gave us life, that's the most. Right. Actually, when you think about it, God cannot love us any more than he did in Christ. Like what what he did in through Jesus Christ, that's the most that God can actually love. Is to give his best, to give his most precious son and, and eternal life and everything. He never just says, Okay, you guys are like, you know, a certain this good, and I'm gonna give you this much grace or this much mercy, this much, you know, happiness. He gives you his best, his all. Right? He doesn't just save us from death and like I'm going to forgive your sins, but now, you know, the, the rest of it is up to you. He gives us eternal life, right? And so and so John says in 1st John 4:9, right? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So he's like, think about how amazing that is. Right? This is not like a adequate love. This is not, you know, a love that we deserve. But that God gives his best, his all. He wastes his love. You know, this is the picture of what kind of love that God gives. Look at John, look at Luke 15, the, the story of the prodigal son. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So when his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young girl so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Right? And this is like what God's love is like. Right? The Father kills like his most precious commodity. You know, uh, the the, mo- the most valuable thing that he has, the, the fattened calf, the, the, the calf that's been fed and nurtured and taken care of to be big and fat, so that you know you can sell it for a lot of money. But Jesus kills his. Most prized possession, right? His son, Jesus Christ, for his no good son, his wretched, worthless son, who wasted all of the the father's money, who did all these nasty things with prostitutes and other people, you know? And he's like, it's a waste, right? And, And I think a lot of us will be angry when we see something like that. Stop enabling that boy, right? It's a waste. Why would you? He doesn't deserve that. Right? We get mad at celebrities who are richer than us because like, they don't deserve that. Right? But that is how Jesus loves. He gives us his son right? to us, to us no good, worthless, wretched, wasteful sons. Right? He gives the same amount of money to the worker that came in first and to the worker that comes in last. Right? He doesn't hold anything back for his bad son. He doesn't wait for us to earn it. And so when you think about it, no other religion talks about love in this way. Yeah, I mean, they say God is loving, but they don't talk about it in this way. Right? There's nothing like the love of God so this is why I think this is why I think John draws a line here, saying if you you have to believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, and understand what kind of a vast, great, and mighty love that is for Jesus to come down in the flesh and die for your sins. It's not like the other gods. It's not like Allah. It's not like Buddha. It's not like uh, it's nothing like it. Even the Jews, who had the scriptures and the Old Testament could unfathom fathom and understand who Jesus was. Because like that's even too great for our understanding of who God is. Right? And so this is what kind of um, is sad about It's that some Christians live as if Jesus truly never came. As if he never came in the flesh. As if their sins are not forgiven. As if the Holy Spirit does not dwell within them. Right, So they come to church, they do all these things, but in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit, in the way they act, they have the spirit of the Antichrist. They have the spirit of the false prophets because they deny Christ in their hearts. They deny Christ in their minds. And they live as if he never really loved them. And, and that's a sad thing I see with so many Christians or like people who grew up in church. They think God hates them. They think God's ready to punish them and make them miserable and doesn't care about them at all. Right? And that's to me what it means to deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and other people live as if he will never come again. Right? So if you really believe it, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that means even right now, whatever you're going through, God is with you. God is intimately personally involved in all of your affairs, in every day of your life, every second. That's why, you know, I chose that song day by day for you to understand, like that's what it means. That Jesus Christ is now always with you forever. And everything that comes comes from the Father's hand, even trouble, even toil, even pain, pleasure. Right? And so that's what it means to believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Um so for us, you know, I want you to believe that, especially as we're going to go into the time where we're going to celebrate communion, right that's what that's all about. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, Jesus Christ in the flesh, giving us everything that we need, you know showing his love for us. So with that in mind, let's pray, dear Lord, um, I know Father God that. No matter how many times and how many ways I will try to say this and explain this, nothing can really describe the love that you've given us, the mercy and grace. So I just pray that today, as we celebrate communion, as we celebrate the fact that you came down in the flesh to die for us, that you will help all of us here recognize and understand and acknowledge Your great love here Uh, by the grace and mercy of God. Open our eyes, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.